Okay, well then let's let's gavel this to order. Um, Pathos Trio, uh, and am I saying the name correctly? Pathos, or is it Pathos? No, that's right. It's Pathos. Okay, all right. I just I'm terrible with names, and I say names wrong all the time. Just ask my colleagues, and so um, so if I say anything incorrectly today, please chime in and, and correct me. Um, Alan, Felix, and Marcelina of the Pathos Trio, thank you for joining me. Um, I have not, I don't think I've met Alan or Marcelina in person. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I think I've seen your shows, but maybe we didn't have a chance to talk. <laughs> okay. Well, I apologize if I, if I ignored you or ghosted somebody and just walked past <laughs> you, but, uh, it's a pleasure to meet and chat with all three of you. Felix, we're, we're old friends. We've known each other for, uh, when did you first come to SOSI? When was that? That was uh, 2015. Okay, yeah. so like six years now. Um, and it's been really fascinating for me to, uh, I think be- just because I don't know Alan and Marcelina as well, for me to see not just Felix, but so- past SOCI students um, come through the program that, that we run and then go out into the world. And the four of us have horrible anxiety as to whether or not any of you will uh, find use of any of the things that we taught you out, outside of, outside <laughs> of the, the, you know, the controlled spaces of, of a teaching environment. But... Um, I'm kind of curious um, to learn a little bit more about all three of you, but can first, um, actually, before we get into the Pathos Trio, Felix, maybe we can start with you last, since um, I, yeah. know, I know you the most, but maybe we'll start with Marcelina. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, you also play an Excelsis percussion, is that correct? Yes, Excelsis Percussion Quartet. Great. Um, also, um, I know that I don't think she's in the group anymore. Um, Clara Warnar was also a SOCI student years ago. So anyway, just connecting many dots here. But Marcelina, can you tell me a little bit, like, what got you into percussion? Take me back to, like, baby Marcelina. Why did you, <laughs> why did you even start in music to begin with? Sure. So I'm originally uh, from Poland. I was born in Poland. And I come from a city called Białystok in the northeast side near the Belarusian border, if you know what that is. Vaguely. And, I, I'm, I'm only yeah. very, very tiny, in a tiny way, familiar with the geopolitics of the area. So I, I know a little bit of what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So um, my parents are both musicians. My mom was, my mom is a pianist, um, but she played piano in the Philharmonic, the local Philharmonic. And they also offered public kind of like music lessons. So I took music lessons there and I knew immediately I wanted to play percussion, something. It was just like, I don't know. I'm also the kind of personality. It's like when I want something that there's just like nothing else, there's like nothing else in the world to me. So that's what happened. I think I saw percussion instruments being wheeled around. So um, yeah, I was attracted to just carrying tons of instruments, I guess, you know, just wheeling things, <laughs> the, well, the lugging aspect of our culture. I'm kidding. But that's literally what I first saw was people like, you know, moving stuff around. And I was like pointing to it. I don't know if I could even say, I think I, I could say the word bamben, which is like drum, drum, kind of like drum, like drum. I want to play the drum. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, uh-uh. And so she really wanted me to play the cello. She set up a cello lesson with a um, one of the best cellists, like in you know, in Poland, and she happened to play in the orchestra. Or this person hadn't hadn't played in the orchestra, and they um, they had like a pedagogy class. So they're like, okay, perfect. We'll introduce Marcelina. We'll like show the pedagogy class. Like this is what it's like to introduce, you know, a new cello student. And I think I was like four or five, and they brought out the special little cello for me. I go inside. And I've been telling my mom, like, I don't want to play the cello. And so I go show up there and I'm like, my hands are crossed. Like, and, you know, they're like, oh, Marcelina, welcome to cello class. We're so happy to have you. We heard you wanted to play the cello. 
And I turned to my mom and I'm like, I thought I told you, I don't want to play the stupid cello. I want to play the drums. And then I walked out. And so my mom is mortified. I don't, know, I don't know. I hope she has a relationship with this child still. But so that was that. And then I immigrated to United States. And I started studying percussion with Patsy Dash and the Chicago Symphony and her husband, Doug Waddell. So they lead a percussion program, maybe you're familiar with, called the Percussion Scholarship Group. Mm-hmm. And it's under the education division of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Uh, it's an incredibly uh, unique and generous program. They offer free lessons for kids grades three to um, 12 until you go off to college. Mm-hmm. It's extremely competitive. The first few years I kind of spent like testing the kids and seeing if they have the drive it takes to do it. And I think there's like an additional test in eighth grade to see like, okay, but do you want to like actually do this as a career maybe? Cause otherwise maybe it's not mm-hmm. the best choice for you. And so, yeah, I had three lessons ended up um, auditioning for Manhattan school of music. And then I studied there for six years and then I've been involved in chamber music and orchestral playing, solo playing, kind of just everything and, and teaching. I, I feel like I just do a little bit of everything. Well, so that's and, my long story. No, it's great. And I, I have, there's a million, and again, for the, for the three of you, these podcasts are very unscripted and we will take random tangents and I'm happy to talk the whole hour, hour about Belarusian politics, like, and learn from you on that front too. Like, I don't care. Um, but I, I do have one question. Like, how old were you when you emigrated to the U.S. and moved to Chicago? Um, the first time I went to the United States, I think I was five or six and it was kind of like a testing period where we came here Mm -hmm. to visit my grandmother who had first come to the United States and we wanted to test it. So I think I even attended kindergarten for like Mm -hmm. a couple months, not knowing any English. Mm -hmm. And we went back for a year and then I guess we like formally moved when I was like maybe eight years old, seven, eight years old. Um, That's when I like started learning English and going to ESL and then pretty quickly started playing percussion. And did you notice is and maybe you were too young to for this sort of stuff to to pro, to be processed in your head in a way that you could really make sense of but like what what were some of the biggest cultural differences you noticed like being a young woman in Poland growing up looking at percussionists like Poland has a very intense history of classical music and music as part of the culture in general you know in a way that maybe US it's just different here and I'm I'm curious to to see what you tracked as being different from where you grew up to United States. Yeah, absolutely. There's some differences. Um, yeah, I would say in general in, in Europe, but specifically in maybe in Poland, there's like a huge appreciation appreciation for arts. And um, yeah, that has to do with, you know, us, our very complicated history, obviously, mm-hmm. like our history in the world and all the wars and things. I, I feel like maybe there was a sense of urgency to it. Um you know, my, my my parents certainly tell me all kinds of stories of, you know, their experience with communism mm-hmm. and things like this. So, um, I mean, of course, I didn't know anybody of this when I was young. All I knew was that it was very um, common for kids to, right after class, like our, you know, regular elementary school, you would go to this, like, I think it's publicly funded, almost like a music school that's attached mm-hmm. to the symphony. So the symphonies often have this music school and you go there and you have theory class. So mm-hmm. already in first grade, you're learning like dictation, singing, dancing, all this is integrated. So we were like doing dictation and, you know, things like this. And then you choose at least one instrument. I knew people who played like piano and guitar, piano and this. Um, and a lot of the people also like took ballet or things like this. And so it was very 
just common. Like I, my parents have tons of friends, for example, from um, their upbringing that they played some kind of instrument. You know, they're maybe they're architects now or do something else, but they're like, oh, we went to that music school together. So they say like music school because it was like a separate school that mm-hmm. they went to. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like um, gender, I was very fortunate in Białystok, the, there were two female percussionists in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. So to me, actually, mm-hmm. I totally did not um, see it as a gendered instrument mm-hmm. at all. And I continued mm-hmm. to not see it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just been super fortunate all through my life. I've had incredibly strong women uh, be incredible examples for me. Whereas uh, from um, Poland to Chicago, obviously Chicago Symphony, you know, having two women in the section, two incredibly amazing women who I really look up to. Then I also studied with Shi Yi Wu and, mm-hmm. you know, other, other people, like I mentioned. But so I've, I feel like I've just been really lucky. I've always been surrounded um, by talent like this. Well, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast in my own, my own personal history, too. And, and again, like there are issues in the field that we need to deal with and, and people should think long and hard before before they speak to someone about, you know, in terms of how they're going to possibly affect this person in, in their, their future. But I, me too. Like I, I've, I've been shocked recently in the last couple of years that people would even consider a woman not being on the same level because my, my fifth grade band teacher was a woman. She's a bad motherfucker. She's one of the biggest beasts in my life in terms of music. And I went to grad school and played with Ayano Katoka and, and, and Gwen, um, she was Gwen Burgett at the time. She's Gwendolyn Dees now. But like, you know, I was I was getting my butt kicked from day one. And so like it never crossed my mind to think that way, you know? And so anyway, I'm trying to check the the how much of that is just pure luck of my behalf on my behalf and how much of it is is a reality for everybody, you know. But anyway, I appreciate that. Uh, Alan, what about you? Give me give me the nickel and dime tour of your of your background. Uh sure. So uh going way back to probably uh, I was probably in first grade. Um, I was in my general music class and everybody uh, was given a recorder to learn, to take home and kind of learn like really uh, mm-hmm. simple child tunes or what have you. Uh, and that was like my first interaction with an instrument. And uh, nobody in my immediate family uh, was a musician. And I was living with my grandparents at the time. Uh, so I took this instrument home. And uh, I was really a big fan of like these like old RPG video games. I don't know if anybody here is a, a nerd or can recall like the older like Final Fantasies or things like these. I love those soundtracks. So when you say, I, excuse me, just just for the people who are um, maybe not as cool as the three of uh, the four of us, RPG <laughs> stands for what? A role playing game. Thank you. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've watched I've watched the uh, show on Netflix called High Score, and I was born in 1979. I, I know what a role playing game is, but you just toss that off as if it was nothing. Sorry. (laughs) So I loved these soundtracks. So I would go home from school and I didn't practice any of the music that I was supposed to be practicing. And instead, I would just learn all of these soundtracks by ear, Mm. just going through and learning like the themes or kind of learning. I had, you know, no musical background or training at the time. So it was really off the cuff. I really wasn't aware of what I was doing specifically. But, you know, in retrospect, I was like going in and learning the harmonies and learning some of the ostinati and what things like this. Uh, and, uh, so from a very early age, before I really like found my instrument, like, uh, learning music, performing improvisation and sort of composing were kind of mm-hmm. interrelated for me. They were never really separate. Can I, can um, I ask, sorry to interrupt Alan, but like, yeah, th- this is, this is something like I, I was joking about being born in 1979. Like I, yeah. I was around <laughs> when the first role, role playing, my dad played Diablo one 
on like, <laughs> on like a 20 megabyte IBM compre, you know com, compresario computer or something you know awesome. and so he was he would you know you'd, he'd be like beep boop, beep boop, beep and then it would sit and wait for the machine to like process and then the, the character go like er, er, yeah. like you were eaten by a green goblin and he'd be like damn and have to start over and you know but now like there's a whole there's a whole economy around those um the theme songs and those like it's a thing now in a way that I don't think at the time any of us were clocking as like I don't want to say real music, but I'm sorry, the Mario Brothers music. That shit yeah. is hard. That stuff is crazy complicated, you know. Yeah, it's wild. And when you kind of learn about the sort of the backstory behind some of those soundtracks, it was the music was sort of like the afterthought. Like they just went to the the person in charge of uh, sound design and audio, and they're like, "Hey, like we're on a low budget production. Like, can you also like write the music? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and can you do it in like a month?" So with, they would with, write. Can you this, do it with eight bits? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, just like making the most of what they had. Um, and you know, that's some, that's one of the uh, really inspiring, kind of charming things about the franchise Final Fantasy is that the title comes from. The fact that this was such a low budget production and they didn't think they were going to make their deadlines. And I don't think that I don't know the intricacies of like the rollout plan for what happened specifically, but they were worried that they were not actually going to be able to launch because of so many sort of mishandlings and things like this on the back end. So the music was like the final thing that happened. And it was kind of like, okay, like fingers crossed, like, let's hope this is a success or else, you know, we're going to kind of eat our losses. And it turned out to be this wildly successful game and the soundtrack uh you know is is kind of uh there's a legacy as you were saying there's an entire entire economy around it and uh so many of my my students you know like high school or undergraduates like they come into a program and you know they they want to learn a lot about that music they're interested in composing music like it so it really kind of fostered like a generation of musicians i think and inspired a a love and appreciation for music from Mm -hmm. a video game so Mm -hmm. and i was definitely affected by that um and so I, I eventually found myself playing piano um, and again, kind of from the lens of somebody who's interested in not only just like performing uh, the written music, but also, of course, learning by ear and improvising and sort of taking something that already exists and embellishing it. And, you know, of course, this is uh, pre-formal education. Uh, I was very lucky to have some really incredible teachers who guided me through you know, high school, middle school. Uh, I ended up majoring in composition and minoring in piano at uh, SUNY Fredonia, which is uh, in western New York near Buffalo. Um, and I just finished my PhD in comp at Stony Brook University. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of have this uh, path of sort of composing and performing in you know, classical and chamber ensembles, but um, kind of backtracking for a second. Uh, growing up, I also listened to a lot of uh, like metal music. I really was a big metal fan. Uh, yeah, so I, I ended up playing in a lot of bands. You know, I was like 14 years old, uh, playing venues that I wasn't technically legally like, allowed into because I was under the drinking age. So like I had to like wait outside with my mom until my band was going on, and oh, then yeah. I'd go load. It's like play. the least badass way to be in a Pantera cover band. Just have it's to wait with your mom cool. outside. <laughs> exactly. Not only that, but you're the keyboard player. So like you're already like so not cool. You don't look cool on stage, and then like you're loading in with your mom. Like this is you're, just like <laughs> you're like which tune? Which which tune are we doing? Uh, in a Sandman. Yeah. Boom, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like at the time, you know, nobody told me, but harpsichord is not cool in metal. Actually, I think it could be sometimes, but like I was like using harpsichord sounds 
with like my friends. And if it's done it well, was, it's done well. That's all that exactly. matters. Um, so I still, I still play with bands. I'm in a, in a, in a trio, another trio outside of Pathos uh, called Gia. And it's just a keyboards, bass and, uh, and guitar. So it's just like, that's the core instrumentation. And we collaborate with uh, outside musicians, different drummers. We recently worked with um, Matt Garska from Animals as Leaders. We've worked with uh, some drummers from other like uh, metal bands in a similar genre. So it's definitely like a collaborative group. And, you know, my work with Pathos and, and playing with Felix and Marcelina, uh, and this is something we all have in common is that we love this kind of music. So it's great mm. to play it in an ensemble like Pathos where we have that interest in, you know, uh, different vernacular music like metal and, and seeing exploring how that can kind of... Um, fused with what we're doing in this group um but anyway yeah so to kind of end this i'm kind of rambling right now but yeah so i kind of come from all these strange worlds kind of similar to what marcelina was saying how you know we kind of do everything that's how it kind of feels for me and yeah so i i uh, i grapple like on the spectrum of performer composer and hmm. you know everything in between awesome and felix what about you buddy last but not least i know the most about you so i'll uh you know go fill, fill, in, <laughs> fill, in, fill in some gaps from where we left off yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Well, I guess trying to trying to recap of maybe what you already know, but uh, in terms of how I got into percussion and and just playing in general. I mean, yeah, I, I started pretty pretty late. Um, I didn't really learn how to pick up a drum or pick up sticks until I was in a ninth, tenth grade, because where I went to school in Brentwood, out in which is it's a town out in Long Island in New York. Um, our, our 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 school district didn't really have a lot of funding mm-hmm. and so we were kind of already at a disadvantage in comparison to other school districts where I think most of the time you, you would normally see um, music programs kids are learning to pick up and learn instruments from like grades one and two mm-hmm. and so um, a lot of the kids in my school who were interested in in music and, and wanting to learn how to pick up an instrument were already at a disadvantage but really the thing that got me, into playing percussion. Also, I guess, ironically, percussion wasn't even really my first choice of instrument. You know, I, I, th- I think similar to other, when you're first starting to learn how to pick up an instrument, I think what, I think older, older uh, students from, from, from older grades, like when you're, when you're younger, they kind of have like the, the instrument, uh, uh, I guess, show and tell where yeah, we, we call them, the, we call them instrument petting zoos. That's what I was trying to think yeah. of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And Every so, kid gets on a trombone and goes bee or reap, and then you get on the yeah. violin and you go ee, you know. Like. <laughs> yeah, and and um, and I and then I remember um, once once the show and tell was kind of all said and done, uh, they make you the, the teachers make you pick like okay, like from like choices one to three, like you know, one being like your your most um, like the instrument you want to play the most, just like list the instruments you want, and then based off of like what what students wrote down you know they would kind of put people in their in their sections and ironically i picked percussion last i think it was i picked violin first uh then saxophone and then percussion but then the really the reason why my my band our high school band teacher picked me to be in percussion was because my sister at the time she was playing oboe and she had told my high school uh, teacher he was like hey my, my younger brother is really has a really good sense of rhythm like you should put him on percussion so i really have to thank a lot, my older sister for, for the, being where I am. Do the three yeah. of you ever stop for two seconds and think about like, you know, I'm not someone who is, is, is willing to admit that shit's out of my control. 
you know, mm-hmm. that sometimes somebody else's decision is actually the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I had no say in it, you know, like that's something I'm very unwilling to actually admit. Cause I feel like I want to say that I'm the one that I'm the reason, you know, I did, I did it, you know, you're in control of everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah no, but, I, I but, but the reason I'm, the reason I asked the question is like, so for you, Marcelina, if those percussionists had not, if they'd have moved all that gear the day before, and you'd have never seen them pushing those timpani or the marimba. For you, Alan, if your parents had been like, no video games, that's the devil. <laughs> you know, or, or, or it, you know, for you, Felix, like, if there would have just been one person who just got, got sick and decided that they couldn't come to that petting zoo and you got put on saxophone. <laughs> you know, like, so anyway, just to say, like, these are the things that I think about as a teacher. Like, what are the decisions I'm making that are absolutely pushing people into different areas of the world for the rest of their lives that they have no say over? And, like, how much of that am I conscious of? How much of it am I not aware of? Should I schedule my percussion moves around the idea that there might be a five-year-old Marcelina in the lobby watching me? Like, that's not a way to go about your life either, but that's clearly what happened. So, like, you know, anyway, it's just interesting to think about all that stuff. Sorry to interrupt, Felix. But it's, 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 it's a wild yeah. thought. Sorry to chime in here. I just want to yeah. comment on what you just said because it's like – I think about this sometimes too and it's like it's, it's kind of <laughs> terrifying when you really try to, like, think about that concept. And anytime, like, I'm in a situation where, like – I think about that. I, I, I view it as just like, you know, we, we collaborate with the universe, you know, like you can't, you can't necessarily control everything, but you can also get a sense of like the flow and where things are going. And I always find myself trying to just like stop myself from overthinking. So uh, yeah, just yeah. to say, I definitely relate to what you just said. Sorry, Felix, I interrupted you there, buddy. You were finishing your story, but yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like I'll, I'll even pick it back like on that as I'm, as I'm going, cause obviously like, you know, I want to mention, mention you and, and the rest of the so guys, like how, you know, that was a, a huge inspiration part of like how, you know, sort of pathos came together. Um, but yeah, I mean, after, yeah, after high school, I mean, I was in the marching, I, w- I got into my high school's marching band and that was really kind of what got me into not necessarily percussion, but just knowing that I wanted to pursue music as a career of some sort, mm-hmm. because just, just being, being a smaller part of like a larger ensemble and like that whole idea of collab, like, you know, not only you, but every all like 50, 60 plus other people are collaborating into making this sort of final, well, I wouldn't say product, but like this, you know, this, 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 mu- this music, this like piece, you know, performance come to life. And that was sort of the thing that's like, wow, this is like really like crazy how, music brings people together in, mm. in this, in this sort of way. And, and then like, I want to be, I want to be doing something. I don't know exactly what yet, but something as a career in, in music. And then, and then kind of fast forwarding to Fredonia. Uh, well, actually, yeah, even before going to Fredonia, I had to, I had to audition three times to get into that program mm-hmm. because again, like I mentioned before, I started music pretty late, like mm-hmm. ninth, 10th grade. And when I, when I realized, okay, I want to go to music school in college, then I had to, I soon realized because up until that point I was just playing snare drum and and drum set like oh I have to learn how to play keyboard instruments I have to learn how to play timpani like what is this stuff <laughs> and like in a year like less than a year I had to immediately find a private teacher which also kind of kind of the uh, to go off of Marcelina almost all my my I would say yeah all my major teachers have been have been female percussionist also my private teacher uh jude st george like i still am super close with her like i always mm-hmm. will go every summer to help her with her percussion 
summer camp up until Fredonia, you know, K. Stonefell, when I did my master's, um, uh, Dr. Isabel Huang, all, all, mm-hmm. all, all my teachers I keep really, really close contact with. Mm-hmm. And then even after grad school, like, well, in between and after grad school, studying with Keiko. Um, so all, like all very strong female personalities. So I never, I also never really think about that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, in general, whenever we do, whenever I do projects, but, but anyway, and, and yeah, and, and in Fredonia, I, I guess I'm tying into now kind of how pathos, the idea sort of started with, with pathos, you know, uh, when I was in grad, towards the end of the middle of grad school, I think it was when I started doing socio with you, with you guys. And up until that point, I was kind of really lost in some ways trying to figure out like, man, like I'm already halfway through gra- my, my graduate program. I'm not still exactly sure what I want to be doing. And then because yeah, both at Fredonia and in BG, there wasn't really this emphasis on chamber music per se. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I mean, like when you think percussion, I mean, like percussion is like in essence, everything we're a part of is, you know, chamber music is, is, is at its core. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing kind of the possibilities of what percussion can be in like a chamber ensemble setting, but also just, just the environment and just the, the community of SOCI really, really inspired me. Like, man, like once I get out of grad school, like this is what I want to be doing is like mm-hmm. form my own form, like my own chamber ensemble with people that I really like w- want to be playing with. And we like all have the same similar interests, you know, yeah. and it doesn't. And so, and then, yeah. And then kind of tying off to how pathos came to be me and me and Alan, we went to school together because he mentioned Fredonia. Mm-hmm. So we were at school together. And ironically, we didn't even know each other so well. We kind of would see each other in passing. We maybe saw each other three, four times in total of our four or five years at Fredonia at like some at some party. Like, oh, hey, what's up? And mm-hmm. and then that was that. But yeah. And then after moving back to Brooklyn, immediately after graduating BG, I got in touch with Marcelina because I was at the time and this was when I started interning with so too, but I was just trying to look for musicians just being like the new, the, a new face in Brooklyn being like, man, I don't know anybody. Like I need to mm-hmm. just like do research and just see people who I might want to like, who, who I think maybe have the same interests and I do and like just jam and play together and see what happens. And Marcelina came up on my radar and be like, man, this, this, this chick's like so awesome. She's like doing a lot of crazy stuff. She's, also into heavy metal, like, and that's like a, a one thread line that all three of us have in common. And I was like, man, I need to like reach out to her. And like, I emailed her or I, yeah, I, I emailed her or, or somehow got in contact with her and like, Hey, like, would you be like down to meet up? And she was like, Oh yeah, sure. And I went to, I went to her at the time, I think it was in fall 2017 and MSM. They have like a, uh, she has marimba like, concert yeah yeah so I, I i went to that and that was and i just i i, I can't remember what bach you played i think you played bach uh, some few g minor fugue yeah yeah and that was the first time i saw marceline in person like playing like man this, she, she's just so awesome um and then we yeah and then we hung out afterwards um and then set up another day where okay we should like we should just like get together and like jam and we sight read some Vignal <laughs> and got some like sushi afterwards. At the, I forgot the name of the place near MSM, but but originally Jin Ramen, Jin Ramen, I think, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. That, place yeah is so, that place is so delicious. <laughs> yes, this is a plug yeah. for Gin Ramen. Please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of really how the trio formed. It was, I guess, originally a duo from, between me and Marcelina, and then we were kind of at, we were like, okay, we we like played together, and we were like, okay, this this could work as a duo, mm-hmm. and we were thinking of people to sort of commission and. Alan, in my mind, was the first person that came to mind because, okay, like, this is the only composer I know who's into the same kind of music that we're into, and we have the same similar backgrounds, like, classically trained, but in very, also very strong contemporary music programs, and we met, we met up, had, like, a, a breakfast dinner at IHOP, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, yeah, and talked about the commission, and we couldn't make it to Jinram in that day, so we had to so sell for IHOP. IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me ask you real quick, the so how long is the group, the group formed officially in what, what year? In like fall of 2018, like November. Yeah. Okay. So you've been doing stuff together now for three years, roughly. That, that's accurate. Yeah. What would you say, um, and maybe this question, just to bring it back to Marcelina, what would you say is the like, and I'm asking this question from the, this is a premise that so asked questions from early on. Like we started the group, I wasn't in the group when it was first founded, but I was in it early enough to still see that early, the early uh, intentions were there pretty clearly. And it was, there was no percussion rep in real quantity for percussion quartet rep. And what was around was from like 1970 and earlier. And then there was a couple bigger pieces, maybe, maybe, but really pre-1981 or 1980 is kind of when all that stuff. And then there's Zanakis, of course, but like we were like, there's just not, there's no pieces of like real scale for percussion quartet in the way that there are for string quartets. You go to a string quartet concert. The first half is two or three new pieces. And then the second half is a Beethoven string quartet or whatever. It's 45 minutes long. Everybody gets, you sit down and you're just in it to win it, you know? And so, so it's like, well, let's do that. And so so-called laws of nature was an attempt at that. Um, all of you know, neither Anvil nor Poli. A lot of the pieces that we programmed were specifically not because the four of us were like, we love long pieces. It was like, we're exhausted from setting up 15 pieces that are all three minutes long. And we want to give an audience a similar experience because maybe one of the reasons audiences aren't coming to percussion quartets, but they are coming to string quartets is because of the set change. And if we can get cut that out, you know, what does that mean? And now 20 years into it, 15 years into it for me, I feel like we were we checked that box enough to where other groups are starting to do that. And now we have other things on our list of like, this isn't being done, so let's do this. For you all, because the trio world, and especially with piano to percussion, that's a whole nother can of worms from what the four of us are dealing with. So for you, Marcelina, like what what do you see as the major service that you feel like why do you why why Pathos Trio? What are the what are the three of you gonna do, or have at least said you want to do enough that's made you be like, all right, I'm gonna do this thing because no one else is doing it. What do you feel needs to happen in the in the trio world that is giving you the reason to do all this? Yeah, I other, think other than other than I love playing oh. music with my friends, you know, like that's awesome. Yeah. That's and that and that's a that's totally okay too. But like, <laughs> I feel like there's a million people like that who just love playing with their friends. I love playing with my friends too. So do the other three guys. And so I'm not. Saying, of course, you didn't say this, but like, there's a different level between playing with your friends and then being like, 
no, this is what I'm doing for a living, and I have to figure that out too. And I'm kind of curious. You guys are sort of breaching that gap a little bit. And can you tell me why? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, the other the guys can also chime in if they want to. Um, for me, I think our trio uh, offers something different, just due to our shared interest of like this dark metal music and um our interest in that those genres um also there's like the metal music obviously as you know it's not just like one type and there's like all kinds of different Mm -hmm. types of metal music which we're you know each of us have like almost like our own favorites and stuff like that so we also bring that to the table also our um shared love of commissioning new composers primarily i feel like um we like to give um people the opportunity who maybe have not had opportunity to be commissioned to write for a quartet, quartet, a trio like this. Um, So for example, we do try to focus more on minority composers um, and collaborators. So that's something that's really important to us is commissioning, um, commissioning that and just like lifting up people because we certainly have, we, we certainly got to where we are because of that. So we want to do the same for others. What about you, Alan? What, I mean, and again, I'm not, uh, this is kind of a question for the group, but also for you individually, because I don't, not everybody in so percussion, we don't all agree a hundred percent on every part of so's mission. I mean, I sign off on all of it, but there's bits and pieces. Like for me personally, I love the service component portion of it. Like the food packing thing is like the thing that for me more so than I would say like commissioning a new piece from a new composer or something like, I love that. Don't get me wrong. But like in terms of the stuff when I'm doing it, I'm like, yes, like pumping my fist. Like I pump my fist way more at the food packing than I do at say commissioning a new piece. But the Venn diagram overlaps enough with, with that, with the other guys in the group that I'm totally fine to sign off on all of it. So like for you, Alan, what, what is the thing for you that gets you out of bed in the morning about pathos true? Yeah. So, um, kind of, piggybacking off of the sort of practical element that you were talking about earlier with like cutting down set changes. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to the pre-existing repertoire, I mean, there's a good amount of two piano, two percussion repertoire out there, some pretty Mm -hmm. famous pieces. Um, And, you know, we play a lot in New York and it's just hard to find a venue. Sorry to stop for two seconds. Correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is a Mm -hmm. little bit of my ignorance of the two piano, two percussion repertoire. There's the bar talk. There's the bar talk. Sorry, sorry, I don't know. I'm being I'm, I'm being a little facetious here, but like, there's not a when you say there's a lot, there's not actually a lot, right? Not 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 compar- comparable to uh, string quartet. That's for sure. It's like saying there's a lot of space companies in the U.S. now. It's yeah. Like, right. <laughs> no, there's three. There's NASA, Blue Origin, and uh, yeah. whatever Elon's thing is. You know, like like it's still a relatively limited repertoire in the. Per- I mean, just anytime you have percussion involved at all. You're yeah. automatically dealing with a more sort of narrow window. Absolutely, of and even kind of going into that smaller world. I mean, you you have your yarn wires and groups yeah. like this, and there there is a repertoire that's forming there. And then you have crumb. Um, there's some messy pieces, I believe, for two piano, two percussion. But or I think there's one. I'm the, the name I'm blanking on. But yeah, there's certainly it's nothing close to you know uh, like the Western classical canon, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there is this emerging body of works um, that's really attractive to write for and uh, from a composer perspective. And 
from a performer's perspective, it's so much fun to play. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a blast playing. I love playing with percussionists. So, um, it was difficult to find venues that has two that have two pianos uh, mm -hmm. that are also mm -hmm. game to let you do the things that we do to pianos. I mean, we we're very respectful to these to these beautiful instruments, but right. we definitely push the boundaries of what we're doing inside of it. We just, Most concert I mean, halls have a piano set aside that is yeah. uh, is for the crumb performances. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, exactly that they don't care and, that if it gets if you're dry hitting it with a stick or something. And it's, you know, it's hard finding two of those. And especially yeah. for an up and coming group, um, you know, when I joined, when we formed Pathos, you know, I was, I was in the first year of my PhD. So, you know, like we were, we were all doing our own thing on, on the side. Like Marcelina has been uh, in a residency with New World Symphony. Uh, mm -hmm. Felix has been doing a bunch of freelance work in New York and also uh, as working as a grant writer for different organizations. So, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't full momentum right away, but it was something we loved to do. And it was just, we weren't really getting opportunities to play in places where they had the setup that we needed. So, I mean, it, it, it made sense to just stick to what we were just one piano, two percussion. So I think it's a more practical instrumentation, um, you know, and you'll probably find that it's easier to, to commit to a venue because of that. Well, can, uh, I, so, can I ask you on that tip though? Like what, it's just a question that I, I think a lot of younger folks in school and myself included didn't really even have to really think about um, until I joined. So quite frankly, and it's like, again, I think people see so as how we are now mm. and don't ever assume that we were year one right? or month two, you know, and, or that, you know, we were on salary the whole time. It's like, no, 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 no. Like that took, that's a long time till that got to that point. There were, there were halls that wouldn't book us because of the amount of gear we needed or they yeah. wanted us to play specific rep. I mean, there's, there's a point in your career where you don't have the political capital to push back all the time. And I'm kind of curious, and I've been in that, and, I'm, and listen, we're still in that. So Percussion does not have the political capital worldwide to just be like, bring me my grapes. You know, like, <laughs> like that's, that's not how it works. And so yeah. like, I'm curious for you. For you all, like, has that been a discussion? Or be honest with me, when you first got pushback about that, how did you feel about that? Did that feel shitty? Did that feel like you were having to compromise your aesthetic visions for things? Like, how, how did, and maybe this is a question for all three of you, how did you, how did you digest that? Or are you still digesting that, that concept that, you know, your, your reputation, your reputational credibility maybe isn't where it needs to be in order to get your artistic visions on stage. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think we're, we're always kind of, even now uh, still definitely, we think, we think about that, but I think, and, and I'm just saying this personally for me, but some, what, how I feel about the trio is that, you know, because we're such a, we're, we're still fairly, fairly new. And like Alan said, even when we formed, we were still, it was kind of like a slow, uh, we weren't like, we weren't hundred percent fully in the trio, all three of those, cause we had our own, we, we all still have our own different things. But at the beginning it was kind of like a, it was a slow buildup, but at least the way, the way I, I sort of think about it, because we're still fairly new ensemble, there's not, there's, as opposed to like, if we were, if we were a, a, a group or ensemble that has been around for 10 years, we, I don't think we don't have necessarily to worry about reputations and things like that. And, you know, we're kind of in the process of building, building that up. And, mm -hmm. and, and what you were talking about before, um, one of the things that I, I really find appealing about the trio is that one, 
kind of what you were alluding to earlier, there's not really, I mean, there's, there's very limited repertoire for percussion piano, for two percussion, two piano even, but there's almost no repertoire for a two percussion, one piano. So like, so from that prospect, being able to build like, and we knew this from the get-go when we formed the trio that, okay, um, there's, there, there's no repertoire for, for our, our trio configuration. So we're just going to, we're just going to decide like, you know, we're going to just commission and, uh, you know, the pieces that we're going to write, which we love to collaborate with people anyway. But then also this idea of for the trio, because of our, our backgrounds being classically trained in strong contemporary music programs, plus our interest in darker, heavier music, you know, we, we kind of thought of groups that that sort of blend the two worlds together in a, in a way like, you know, you have groups like Teague or Square Peg Round Hole, where sometimes they, they have in their, in, their, in their repertoire, I guess repertoire, if you want to call it that, um, sometimes you'll see them, you'll, you'll see those groups play, you know, in universities, in, in, in a music school setting, and sometimes they're playing in actual music venues, so the idea of you know, there, and there's not really groups out there that are kind of are that are kind of a hybrid that are doing both things simultaneously. And that, and for me, that's a really big attraction with with the trio is that you know, there's not a lot of groups doing that sort of thing. So why why not why not why can't we do the same thing? But for you know, again, being able to have repertoire that appeals to both classical music audiences, but also something that we can play in a rock metal, in a rock venue. So that's sort of the thing, so at least for me, and I'm sure Alan and Marcelina can agree that those are like the, the bigger things that I think we really find appealing about the trio that we're really trying to, I guess, push those boundaries. And, and going back to what you were saying before, uh, Josh, about reputation, just, yeah, just again, I think as a new, as a newer ensemble, we're kind of in the process of building that. So it's not, you know, we're, we're kind of just trying to write our own I don't, I don't know if this sounds cliche, mm-hmm. but kind of writing our own destiny per se, you know, and, and, and just, I think, I think as long as we're focusing on what's, what's, what's true to us and what we're interested in, then like, you know, cause people are going to always, people are going to always, there's always going to be people out there who don't like what you do. So it's, you know, just focusing on what, what, you, what, who you are and like what you like, what, what interests you you know, you're going to, you're going to build your own audiences naturally that way. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of, at least my, my the way I think about it, that's just kind of how I think. Well, people are going to, the other thing too, that I've learned in my last 15 years of doing this is that audiences are smarter than every performer all the time. Mm-hmm. They may not, they may not be smart in the way of like, Oh, I could hear that retrograde inversion of the 12th tone row or the, the inversion of that pal- palindrome you played. Like, but they can see through the bullshit and they can tell if when you're hearing a Boulez, an ensemble playing Boulez, you can tell if you're watching the Chicago Bulls play that Boulez or if you're watching the Cavs from 19 or from 2007, you know, like where, where you know, where LeBron's gone, he's in Miami or whatever, like, you know, and things fell apart and you can tell they're not communicating and it's not interesting to watch. And so people stop coming. That's why people don't people don't come to people don't stop coming to basketball games because players teams lose. You stop coming because it's uninteresting to watch. And I have zero problem watching someone lose if it's interesting. 
<laughs> you know? And so, like, that's the thing. Like, if I was – I'd be a horrible GM of, like, a basketball team but because I'd be like, you guys look miserable because you're losing. It's just, like, just be more interesting. Like, that. of course, that's not exactly how the NBA should work. But I think in terms of music venues, I think that's the case. I think when people are clearly invested in what they're doing – and I think that's what So has always tried to be is, like, listen – even if a hall is like, we'll only pay you to come if you play one of these three composers. The four of us are going to be like, all right, which one of these three do we like the most? Or we're going to feel okay sleeping at night. And if nobody fits that mold, then we'll turn the gig down. I'll go work at Starbucks. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't, I don't feel, or I'll go mow lawns or play steel drum gigs. Like, I don't feel like I need to champion a composer's music I don't feel strongly about. Um, but if there's a way to figure it out, then we, we try to, cause again, that's, you're just getting at bats, building your reputation. Um, Marcelina, what is the, what has been the hardest part for you personally about being in a chamber group? Um, you mentioned upfront that you're the type of person who, when you see something that you want, you, you just go at it until it's yours. Has that ever like bit you in the ass in a chamber music setting where like like you end up getting in a fight with your colleagues because you feel so strongly about something and I'm again I'm asking these questions because these are all things I've experienced and that I you know I've gone hard in the paint against my band members for for one reason or another like I'm not looking for a specific band fight but like for for you like what has been the most challenging thing about being in a chamber music group um I really don't find it challenging at all to work with these two um i find that we get along really really well and i think um i mean i almost think of them as my like two brothers mm-hmm. um i think one younger one older you guys i think you know which one is who and who's the one you pick on is, who's the one you the pick on start. okay yeah yeah <laughs> okay so, she's the in, she's the instigator i'm okay and sometimes <laughs> sometimes i feel like their mother anyway another topic so <laughs> Uh, oh man um but yeah i've really like it's it's really not a struggle in terms of like working on something or when it comes to pieces i feel like really it's like quite remarkable how often we're on the same page um you know and you know i am very kind of more of a not very like meek and shy i don't know if you can tell but that's just not my personality at all so you would think that maybe we'd run into issues but you know, I just think I pick two people that I just work really well with. So that's not really so much of an issue as just time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pretty, I think we're all busy individuals. But yeah, like having a full-time gig at New World Symphony and playing in the New World Symphony, um, playing with other orchestras around the country, playing solo music, and then playing in another chamber ensemble as well as this one. I think my main, like, you know, uh, like demon have to fight is just time mm. just a f- time to like respect everyone's time as as well as my as my own so just you know figuring that out yeah it's not so much any um anything about that i don't know we're lucky <laughs> well I, it's, we'll see i it's good i i mean I, I need to check my own my own bs here because when i ask questions when i ask questions about like so tell me why it's so hard to be in a chamber group and everybody's like no it's not, not so hard i'm like oh maybe it's just hard to be in so percussion <laughs> maybe that's maybe we're maybe we're a really hard group to be in and i just not aware of it but um i, I feel like for you like what has been the biggest now that you're a couple years into this like what is the biggest challenge for you that maybe you didn't expect to have to think about you know like 
mm-hmm. what's been the biggest, I don't want to say like what's been the biggest bummer for you, but like what would you have told Felix at Sosi in 2015 to like get your shit together on this thing? Because in six years, uh-huh. you're going to need it. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, definitely. I Well, because I also do kind of the like the the logistics of the group and like in the managing like oh yeah if i could tell myself back in 2015 like felix if there was one thing i would definitely have told myself is that you gotta you gotta learn be prepared to learn all these other things that go into running an ensemble as opposed to you know being trying to understanding how managing a group works like doing bookings uh all all those kinds of logistics and we and we and we we share we share the, the responsibilities between the three of us, but mostly in terms of like the like going back and forth with presenters and, and mm-hmm. bookings and 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 the bigger logistics. Like I I, I kind of handle all of that, um, and so that's def- so that's definitely always kind of uh, yeah. It, it, it ta- sometimes sometimes there's times where it takes it takes a lot, um, but you know I. I I'm I'm fully invested and I love I love both Alan Marcelina and what we're doing it as a group. So for me, I, I was always in the back of my mind that you know it's it's worth doing all this stuff because the payoff is going to be we're going to be we're we're doing these amazing things that we want to be we be doing and and even kind of and I and I love the question you asked before about like what were what are the like difficulties of being a trio and that's something I'm always kind of. All three of us, I think, we were pretty cognizant about is you know usually when there's like stuff like opportunities and stuff that come our way, obviously like it, it gets directed to me first, and I and I you know will I re- I'll like relay it to Alan Marcelina, and we really go back and forth and dial like and have conversation about hey like is this something we want to be doing, and and we've had those those moments where it's like yeah like it could it could be like a gig that pays well but it's not something we really want to be doing. So we're just going to, we're just going to not do it. We'll just exit out, you know? So we're, we're, we're really aware of that from the get-go um, to, and, and especially for me kind of doing the management, I'm always really trying to be cognizant of whatever, whatever it is we, we decide to do as a trio, you know, we have to all be like on the same page about, and even, mm-hmm. even if someone's like slightly like, I'm not really feeling it. Then it's like, all right, we don't have to do it. You know, mm. there's not that, there's not that pressure. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's very similar to the way. So makes decisions. I mean, we try to, we try to think of ourselves as a, like egalitarian democracy where like everybody mm-hmm. has an equal say at the end of the day, we do have to, to have some sort of not a vote, but there has to be enough consensus, but we don't yeah. require everybody to agree 100 percent yeah it's taken a second to get to that point but like for me like i i'm i'm a person who's like as long as my viewpoint is heard and acknowledged and everybody in the room is willing to say we're not doing what josh said but i heard what he said then i'm fine and then i'll play whatever piece everybody wants to play even if i hate it even if i hate it i'm happy to walk on stage because everybody in the room knows i hate it I'll still play it like a professional. I'll still play it just like I would play any other so percussion piece. But in terms of our decision making 15 years in, you know, there's been, been enough decisions that have come up where if we tried to get consensus where everybody agreed on everything every time, we'd still be back in year one trying to get ourselves through every decision, you know. But like for you, Alan, what has been the what's been the biggest sort of you know, you're you're sort of the odd man out here in that you're working with two percussionists who kind of operate 
in a different stream maybe than the percussion. As a pianist, you also have your foot in another part of the music economy that has its own baggage where I'll bet you have friends who are out there playing Chopin sonatas like note perfectly every night and are having panic attacks about it. And you're sort of looking at Evan Chapman's music going like, you mean I can miss notes all over the place and the only people who care are are, are, are Felix and, and Marcelina and they don't even care? I'm going to yeah. do that. That sounds amazing. Like let 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 pianists 100 years from now freak out about playing Evan Chapman's music well. Right. Like right now you get the opportunity as a pianist to sort of shed all that bullshit of baggage that your other friends have. Like, So I'm kind of curious from your angle, what is this like for you? Yeah, well, that, it's an interesting kind of... Uh, sort of environment to walk into and, and you said it perfectly like the, the burden of history and the burden of like all of these incredible pieces pre-existing works with you know countless recordings that doesn't exist for our repertoire mm-hmm. um so there is a kind of liberty and you know it's funny i feel like i play my best with this group because i'm not going in with that anxiety i kind of go in mm-hmm. with the uh, i for me uh, there's a there's a high level of play not like play, but just like playfulness. Like I, I feel like I'm playing, you know, and uh, that always brings out, I think, my best the best work in me. Um, and in any working environment, whether it's composing, performing, teaching, I'm always looking to create an environment where that is the overall vibe, because that usually, for me personally, generates the best result, and I learn the most in that situation. Uh, the difficulty about it is that, um, you know, and this isn't really unique to, to our repertoire, you know, it's the same thing for any other pianist out there, like you're playing on a different instrument all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and but what's unique is that a lot of our repertoire is, you know, inside the piano and the build of the piano can complicate different pieces. So there has to be multiple versions of different pieces so that I can get inside and do what I need to do. Um, so that's one thing that's always tricky. Uh, another thing as a composer that's difficult is... Um, you know, I have so many of my close friends are incredible composers and we're just one group and we live long that we have, we're not all of us are in New York. We don't rehearse all the time. Mm-hmm. So we can only do so much repertoire. We don't, can only commit to so much repertoire. So it's really tough having these conversations all the time where it's like, Hey, like I'd love to work with your group. And I'm like, Oh, I'd love to work with you too. And I have worked with you in other iterations, but mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it. And I'm always very honest. I'm just like, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it work. Um, and it's a, a tough conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's that, that part weighs pretty heavily on me, actually. Uh, it stresses me out. <laughs> well, yeah. what, what are you, what are you trying to, what are you doing to alleviate that stress? Well, I'm, I'm the, I always, I don't like the word no, you know, I don't like saying no to somebody. Mm-hmm. I always like saying, I can't necessarily do that, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, I would love to play it with you. Or I'd love to just, if you ever have solo piano music, send it my way. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we're going to rehearse this day. Like if there are just some concepts that you wanted to bring in and like, you know, maybe when we're taking a break or something, we can go, we can look through it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, just to come at it with like some other solution, not to just set, just not to just shut it down and be like, no, sorry, it doesn't fit this framework. So therefore it's a no, you know, it's, I try to, I try to work it out. Do you guys have a, have, have you ever, I mean, Felix, um, I mean, this is a question for everybody here, but have you thought about doing any sort of workshop stuff and pardon my ignorance if you already have and I just completely missed it but like in terms of like a training ground for you know composers and I will say composers young or old I don't I mean just because you're 80 years old doesn't mean you've written for percussion you know or piano and percussion there's a lot of composers out there who would absolutely love to work first of all even if they've written Steve Reich 
asks us questions about how to write for the marimba. Why? Because we view the marimba slightly differently than maybe Bob Becker or Russ Hartenberger. And he's he doesn't, there's no value judgment there on Russ or Bob. It's just Steve's curious to know about what young players today are doing with a five octave marimba, you know? So, like, the idea that there might be somebody who's written a shitload for percussion, George Crumb is still alive, I think, right? So you should send him your music and be like, hey, what do you, th- we'd love to get your thoughts on, like, anyway, just to say, like, have you have you thought about doing any sort of, like, um, like a training seminar or something, not like a soci thing, but like any sort of, where you can actually carve out time for that, Alan, is what I'm saying, like, rather than being like, I don't know, send me a click track. Maybe we can meet together on Zoom. Like, fuck all that. Like, is there, have you ever thought about getting a week in a room somewhere where you can actually just try this stuff out? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, it's funny that you, you bring that up because it's actually something I've, I personally have been thinking a lot about in the past two, three weeks because I, you're actually the third person in the past three weeks that brought that up. Marcelino was first and then Alan about, was second. About about our group being like, hey, like you guys are doing interesting things. Like uh-huh. you guys like have you guys ever like considered doing like workshops? So so it's it's really for me it's been like on, on my mind. It's something it's something that it's funny that you bring it up that I wanna I wanna eventually have the conversation with Alan Marcelino about because we uh like a month earlier on in the summer we were kind of applying for residencies at uh, at Avalok and, and Yellow Barn, and now and now and really our our outline for Yellow Barn was was kind of our initial. Fo- it, that was really when we were really starting to think about the ideas of, of doing residencies, like hey, like doing doing res- doing having residents having ideas of like I mean not residencies uh, ideas of workshops together mm-hmm. as a trio, and then even doing individual workshops of what all three of us have like, especially like like uh tailoring tailoring to like our strengths you know like with alan like really talk, diving into you know composing and and you know in the film world because that's really where he is outside of outside of pathos and you know marcelina with her experience being orchestral percussionist and being new world symphony and you know the struggle the struggles and like like how the how the how can people prepare for, for that kind of that kind of you know lifestyle and auditions and then like my my experiences in the past four years doing doing management with an ensemble and like grant writing you know so these are kind of things we, we have been thinking about but um but yeah i i think up until now we've kind of we've been focusing more on everything else in terms of like commissioning like doing things as a group that now we're i think we're kind of trying to branch out and are thinking more about those kinds of things. Uh, other does it things does outside it, of performance that we can like offer? Does it seem like daunting to have to to, to like start a summer festival or something like that? Does it seem like ter- <laughs> terrifying? All right, well, good. I'm glad you nodded yes because yeah. it is and it should be. But do you know how Sosi started? I'd love to hear more. I about think it. I, re- I think I remember the story. So but. did a gig at Smith College, and we went out uh, to a bar afterwards and it was after we were on tour for a while we got super drunk and we were like there's no good summer festivals they all stink and of course that's not true they didn't all stink and there were there were several good festivals but there wasn't a whole lot that were doing specifically percussion there was lee stevens bob becker was doing the xylophone camp and nancy zeltzman 
Really, that was it. And again, no value judgment here. It's just true. Those were the only real three that, and uh, sorry, OPI at Oberlin was, was one I went to. And we're like, who do we know that would let us, we're like, well, I don't know, does anybody know anybody? And Jason was like, Steve Mackey. Because we were, you know, he, he was the department chair at Princeton. And we're like, well, they don't have a percussion department. Well, we'll bring all of our own stuff. Do you think we could get rooms? And so we texted Steve that night, totally drunk, all of us. And we're like, can we do a summer festival at Princeton? And he's like, if I give you the rooms, you can have that. You can have it. And then the next morning we woke up and we were like, who texted Steve last night? <laughs> oh, know? man, not again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, And it was like, next thing you know, then, then Steve's like, cool, what dates do you want? And we're like oh my God, now we have a summer festival. And it was like that, it was literally just, who do we know and who do we know that has space? And right now on this screen, you both, you know, Alan and, and, and Felix, you have Kay Stonefelt. Now, Kay, I don't want Kay to call me up and be like, what the hell did you tell them? But you could, you could drop Kay a line and be like, Kay, do you think we could use your space for a week? Anytime? You tell us when and we'll come in. And now you have a summer festival. Marcelina, you've got friends and family and teachers in, in pardon my pronunciations, Bialystok. Did I say it wrong? I said it wrong. That was right? Bialystok? Okay. You've got a teacher in Bialystok that you could message and be like, hey, this awesome group I'm in, we're doing this thing. Do you think we could come to Poland for a week? And then you've got a summer festival in Poland. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, I know it's ter- the terrifying part isn't scheduling it. It's the moment when your students who paid to come walk in the door. That's when it's really terrifying. Like, and so, but that's also fun and you'll survive and you'll be okay. So anyway, just putting in a plug for all three of you to start a summer festival and teach other people how to write for your instruments. It's not as hard as you think. Um, I have one final question for you all and I've stolen an hour and four minutes of your life already. So I want to sort of... I wish we could do this on mute um, with each of like Alan and, and Felix on mute. So only so you can't actually hear what what Marcelina says. Um, but we'll start. We'll start with Marcelina here. If money and time was not a log- it was not a logistical issue for you, meaning the group had, you know, five hundred thousand dollars in the bank. You weren't worried about touring. You weren't worried about paying your rent. You had all the time in the world and all the money in the world. What, what, who would you want to work with in, with Pathos? You personally, what would be the, like, the dream project, the dream gig, you, you want to work with this person or these people on something? Oh, man, this is a, that's a really hard question. Do you want me to tell you what Soz is? <sighs> What, sure. Yeah. So's well, I've there's kind of two. One is a personal one for me. It is to play with the Skiffle Bunch Steel Orchestra from Trinidad. That's a 140 piece steel band to play with them at Carnegie Hall with so percussion. That's my big like. If money was not an issue, I would fly 140 people from Trinidad with 140 sets of steel drums, put it on Carnegie's big stage, and blow the roof off that place. That would be my dream. Hmm. So for you, with Pathos, what would that be? Or to play on play at Madison Square Garden with Radiohead? That would be the other. That would be the other big one. <laughs> Oof, um, maybe a collaboration with like a metal band. So which, which one though? There's a either... lot of metal bands. That's like saying I'm going to collaborate <laughs> with a pianist. 
<laughs> like, oh, which man. metal band? I mean, are like, you going Sepultura? Like I don't. I or feel like Pantera? during the pandemic, I'm like, I don't even know who's playing together anymore. Um, and I feel like a lot of the bands I listened to were like very old, like Slayer and Pantera and all these people. No hate in my heart for Slayer <laughs> or Pantera. Are you kidding me? They're great. Yeah. Um, man. One <laughs> one that comes to mind is um well Felix, what what band <laughs> that we see together that you really like? Dark Funeral? Yeah, I was gonna even say like Batushka. I, I, Batushka. I love them. I feel yeah. like that that would be like amazing. It's in your Who's hometown. Yeah. Who's Batushka? Batushka, yeah, Batushka means uh like holy father, kind of okay. we say it's uh, it's actually not in the name Batushka is not Polish. It's uh, Russian, mm-hmm. but the band originates from my province. Um, well, they're they're actually very uh, low key. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody's seen their faces because they wear masks, like full masks and garbs and things. So they're very like low key, but they like they come from my hometown. We we um, consider doing that for Pathos wearing masks and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But their shows are super cool. They walk in and it's like a mass. Basically, they light on, they light up candles Whoa. and, you know, they have like the, what's it called? This thingy, the smoke thing that mm-hmm. they swing and cast. Yeah, they, like the incense yeah. can- canter or whatever. Yeah, the incense and all that stuff. Um, I just like, I really like the show of it, of mm-hmm. it all. And also just the fact that they're from my homeland. I like Behemoth. You know, they're really, really great. There's a lot of great Polish bands people don't know about. So maybe there, and then to be able to play in Poland, I think mm-hmm. no matter what, I, I would just love to tours all over the world. You know, if money's not an issue, but especially Poland. Excellent, awesome, that's great. What about you, Felix? Money is not an issue. Time is not an issue. Who would you collaborate with? Oh man, uh, I was trying to think of this as as Martin was talking, but. Uh, uh, Alan, do you have an answer so I can think more about this? <laughs> there's like this, yeah. There's just like so many artists. And I want that you I would, to like, I, to. I want you to think too. Like again, like whenever people have, when I ask this question, people automatically like, well, okay, well, it's clear he doesn't want me to say Dave Matthews Band or Billy Joel. It's like, no, actually, if So Percussion could play with Dave Matthews Band, I'm sorry, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm walking on stage with Carter Beaufort, and y'all can go yeah. eat shit. I don't care what anybody right. thinks. Judge me away. I don't care. Like. And so, like, the world is your oyster here, Alan. Who uh, you, so you there, I would be, do two could, things. Okay, good. I good. Do, first of all, I would go back in time because obviously <laughs> this shouldn't be time specific. That's true. I did where, say time was not an issue and logic was where, not – or uh, money's not an issue. Where, so. where I could just go back in time and not have to have my mom help me move things on stage so my reputation could be salvaged. <laughs> so that's the first thing that I would do. <laughs> and uh, then I would collaborate with Mishoka. All right. Okay. Excellent. I think I think you should go back in time to get rid of age limits on bars, like drinking ages. Like maybe don't let's not shame your mom so much. Let's <laughs> then, go back prior to that. Then maybe in Poland. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Felix, did you get your answer yet? Yeah, I think so. I think. Yeah, I think I think either uh, between animals as leaders and between the bear and me. Wait, between the bear and me is definitely animals definitely, as leaders. Is that what you said? Yeah, they're both progressive metal bands. And yeah. between the spirit or, and me, or between the Baird and me, which t- okay. for me they're they're like my they're like my favorite band. 
I listen. This is I, this is all over my head. I, I I can tell that you're naming bands that I would guess would play metal music, but I but my, for me, my reference is like Pantera Slayer and Sepultura. That's as like that's as that's as old school as I get. Um, well, that's I mean I, I th- the reason I say that is or I, I asked you to do this little exercise. Like I, I read a book whenever I first joined, so called The Last Lecture by this guy named Terry Pauscher, Um and it was P A U S C H E R, I think. Just a, uh, I think he, some sort of English professor or something, and he got pancreatic cancer and then decided his last thing was just to give a big long lecture on thing, like a, a, a series of guest lectures that he would then write a book about. And he was going to leave it as a gift to his daughter, who was too young to realize that he was dying of pancreatic all, all this stuff. It's terribly sad. You'll cry the whole time. But one of the things he talks about in there is making a to do list and but being okay with different types of to-do lists, like you have your go to the grocery store, get apples, oranges, watermelons, you know, band-aids, Tylenol PM, and Pepto. Then there's the to-do list, which is like publish your friend's music, um, help your buddy learn how to read music, teach your friend finale, and uh, start a podcast. And then there's the third one, which is like start a chamber music group, um, play at Madison Square Garden become tenured, like the things that are more sort of abstract that you're not exactly sure how you're going to get there, but are things you definitely want to do make. So has a to-do list and Felix, I'm sure you've seen this in our so studio. That's like be influenced by and influential to others. Like always be willing to be influenced by others, but also try your best to be influential to others in a good way. Make more money than you spend. You know, it's like on our to-do list. Laugh more than you don't. Like, it's dumb shit like that. Play with the book, or play with Radiohead at National, or uh, Madison Square Garden is on there. And honest to God, of the ten things we put on there ten years ago, we've crossed off like seven of them. Make make enough money, I think, is still uncrossed off. We still haven't made enough money. <laughs> but, like, I think for the three of you, I, I want to encourage you early on in this this the sort of genesis of pathos, like I want to do a podcast in 10 years and sort of see what it is you all got right. And what it is you all totally shat the bet on because those are, you have to own both equally and they, they are both what makes you who you are and why you do what you do. Um, and I'm very grateful actually that I made that list with so 10 years ago because now as a 42 year old, I look at that list and I'm just like, you're such a silly goose, Josh, but you were right. Like you, you weren't wrong there. And cause the thing you lose when you get older is that, that perspective of dreaming of like, what is the thing that I can do if there are, cause every once in a while, every once in a while, some point in your career, I don't know when somebody's going to drop a hundred thousand dollars in your lap. It could be from a grant. It could be the government. It could be somebody else is going to be like, we love what you do. And if you've never dreamed, then you're going to spend that money on workers comp and dumb shit. <laughs> that that is not all that important. Um, and so anyway, I think right now it, at this point, you guys are killing it. I've listened, I listened to all the stuff that you sent me, Felix. Um, the level of chamber music, I think in this country, but specifically in our little circles is night and day from where, it, where it was when so entered the world. Um, so you are doing the right things. Just the, the other tiny piece of advice that we got from Robin Engelman and Nexus was 10 years. Keep your head down and your mouth shut for 10 years before you expect anything. So you're three years in. 
take that as a compliment. That's not is not to be a depre- meant to be a depressing thing, but like just keep swinging. It's the people who stick it out for ten years that are the people who are around after ten years. Okay. Um, are there? Do you guys have any other final thoughts before we wrap up? I'm really psyched, Felix, to see sort of the, where things have come since since you and I last parted ways and and all that stuff. And I'm really proud of the work, even though I I have no reason to be proud of you all. I'm pumped for the work that you all are doing. It's really beautiful and it's really high level too, which is um, you know just the other pin I want to put in this that like of course it's awesome and it's really really good. So um, is there any final parting parting thoughts from from you all, Alan, before we leave? This was great. Uh, we really appreciate you having us on, having us on. It was a lot of fun to, to talk to you, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You're yeah, likewise. Welcome. I mean, uh, yeah, loved loved a lot of the the thought provoking questions. Some some stuff like I haven't even. I, I think some of us might not even really mm-hmm. taken the time to sit back and think about. So. Yeah. Well, we will do this again. I, the door on my podcast is always open, and I'm I'm really curious to sort of have people back on and ask them almost the same questions and see like the tring, the, re, the the rings of a tree, sort of how your answers have changed. And you know, this last two years, if you look back at all my podcasts, like these last two years are pretty dark rings of the tree. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. there was a, there was a lot of lot of storms and trauma in these last two years, and I'm proud of all of it. You know, so anyway, just keep it up. Uh, it was lovely to chat with you all, and I really hope we can meet in person and do this in person the next time. That would be even better. Absolutely. Yeah. All Sounds right. great. Thank stay, you. Yep. Stay healthy, and we'll chat soon. Take care, Josh. Thank you. Yep. Bye. See you later. See ya. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, He's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.